uh, we live in the county where this uh, convicted killer has escaped. In fact, where he escaped is not probably, but maybe 20 or 25 minutes from our house. And uh, I've been watching the uh, reward climb, and it's getting very tempting to get on <laughs> my Ranger and drive up and down those county roads with my AR-15 looking for that guy, because it's up to $50,000 right now. I told my wife, I said, you know, we could, we could probably put $50,000 to good use. You know, I, we have so much fun. Do y'all have a family text where it's just everybody in the family does that? Y'all, we have that, and it was so, so special. Uh, I made the comment, I said, well, he chose the wrong county to try to get out. <laughs> These guys have been preparing for a moment like this their whole lives. These guys have been shooting deer and deer rifles and AR-15s, and they go to the gun range. They've got their own gun ranges. I mean, it's just incredible. But I think he chose the wrong one. But they still think he's still in the area, and who knows? He may end up in Houston. But um, anyway, it has kind of... There Two school districts have canceled classes fr all day Friday. Uh, Centerville and another nearby school district canceled classes. Uh, they just don't want him to walk in on their classes, and so. All right, um, as I mentioned, I, I want to do a little reminiscing today, and uh, they asked me about a title. I'm not real good with titles, but I would just say something in the order of like this, God's Classrooms of Testing, uh, it's an open book test. The test that you and I encounter as God takes us through life, the testing is with an open book test. So, and, and again, I'm aware some of you, Roger, you've been around a long time. You've heard some of these stories two or three times. And it's okay but because we've got people that have never heard uh, some of these. So I'm, I'm not going to drag them out so long, but I do have some, you know, some detailed stories that all fit into the message, but it was April of 1975, and I was thinking, how many people would be here today that they weren't even born by 1975, but that's when we left. I left the Houston Police Department and took our first pastorate, Riesel Riesel Baptist Church, and Riesel has changed, by the way. We've gone through there very cautiously a time or two, and um, we've noticed, we've noticed uh, the, uh, the changes, but it was a very, very, very small town when we were there in 1975, but um, that was 47 years ago, 47 years ago. Can you imagine... I had one sermon, and I preached it my first Sunday. Then I'd had I had nothing from then on. I just I just had to kind of work my way through. But that church, that church, and this is what I, some of you've heard, that church was riddled with pain when we came there. They were riddled. Small little church on a on a high attendance day, on a good day, on the on the day when you get everybody in the community. You know, we'd have fifty five 
there. And the offering would be, you know, $175 or something like that. I mean, it was, that was a good Sunday, the high attendance day. But that church was riddled with pain and agony and division. Uh, and by the way, I want to just note something too. At the top, I, you know, I still handwrite my, all my notes. So this is all handwritten. But I have May 1st, 2022 at the top of my page. I don't know if y'all remember why it would be May 1st. Because I was still working on this when Jason Ritchie called me that Saturday. And so half of this was done, or more than half was done on May 1st that week. And I find this amazing to me that I started something uh, that week of, of the first week of May, and then here I am just now preaching it. Uh, the timing of God is kind of incredible when you think about it. But um, this, this church was riddled with division and pain, and, and they, they voted on us majority rule. In other words, if you got enough votes to be the majority, then they, were, they called me to be the pastor. And I don't remember, Linda, I didn't even ask you this. Do you happen to remember how many? I mean, it was like just the smallest of margin. I mean, it was, it was like one or two votes. I don't remember like, you know, it was just like one or two votes enough to get me to come. And I didn't have enough sense to see that as a danger sign. I, I mean, I really didn't. I just was so excited somebody asked me to be the pastor. But I had no idea the implications of what that meant to go there and try to pastor a people that had, this was a, a lot of families, and, but the pastor, the pastor had a, a young wife and two small children. And I, and I was writing this note out. I'm, tr I'm trying to pick a word. It, there's not a real good word to describe. I'm saying in my notes, Brother Reggie was very involved with the youth. Well, he was very involved because he had something going with a 16-year-old. And we had a deacon come uh, once we were there and we were unpacked and we were, you know, there for a few weeks. Um, and he was also a football coach for the town. So he was for the high school. He was he was. Uh, football coach, and then the pastor, and, and he was very popular in town. Uh, but a deacon and his wife confronted him. Some of you remember me telling you this. He, he was confronted by this couple and said, we know, we, we know what you're doing with this girl. We know the involvement. And, uh, and he said, and, and Brother Reggie said to him, uh, to the couple, if you breathe a word of this to anybody, I will expose the marriage counseling I did with you. And, and I will expose everything about your life that you've confided in me. And he said, I will, I will, I will expose you. And so they kept quiet for over two years, they told me. Over two years, this was going on. Behind the scenes, people kind of had some ideas, but there's no real proof. Um, well, he, um, when she turned 18, he divorced his wife and he married her. 
And then another church in the, in the area out there in the country called him to be the pastor. Now, he's a pastor, he's divorced, and he's got an 18-year-old wife. And so the whole time we're there, it's just like turmoil. And you remember, some of you remember, John, you like some of these, you remember these, a lot of these stories, but for their 100th, 100th anniversary, Brother Reggie was their main speaker, their guest speaker. They invited him to come back. I, I just can't even copy. He wouldn't even, if, he, if that was a situation here, he wouldn't even get close to this platform. I mean, we'd be standing there, you know, arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder. You, can, you can't even touch. You're not going to get behind that pulpit. And, but he was the main speaker and people just loving on him and laughing at his stories, his jokes and stuff. It's just sick. So through all of this, we've learned some things and some other situations I'll share with you, but we've learned some things. So I'm going to kind of say these are some things that I'm reminiscing. These are some things that we have learned, some truths that we've learned uh, uh, as we've gone through life. And one is... And this is very key. One truth is immorality does exist in the church. Immorality does exist in the church. And, and this is 47 years. And you will never know how many individuals have come to me in private and situations that we have been made aware of in private that I do not and would never expose or never divulge or never talk about publicly or to anyone, but have come to me privately confessing and admitting secret immorality that existed with members sitting under the preaching of God's word Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. We're not talking about the heathen out there that they're all sleeping in today from a hangover. We're talking about people that are in church. And you would be shocked you would be shocked. So immorality destroys homes. I've seen it. You've seen it. We are aware of it. It has, once that has a grasp on a person's life, that secret, that, that, that hidden sin of immorality... It, it wrecks lives, it ruins testimonies, and there's a constant bombardment and allurement to continue. Very few people that get deeply involved, very few have had a real major success story that I'm aware of. It's a constant lingering thing that they struggle with for, the, for a big portion of their lives. Now, 
along with this immorality, and I'm talking about Satan's part and our battles not against flesh and blood, put on the whole armor of God, Ephesians 6. But, but the devil is a master at convincing a person it won't cost you very much. It, it won't, it, you, you, can, you can participate a little bit and it won't be that bad. It won't be that harmful. But you've heard this little saying, but I'm going to repeat it, but a lot of you can say it by heart. Sin will take you further than you ever intended to go, and it will cost you more than you ever intended to pay, and you will stay longer than you ever, ever thought you would stay. It's that one look that could cost you everything. And I'm talking to a generation of people today that have more accessibility to immorality and, and wrong things at their fingertips than any other generation since I've been alive. You have more available to you to get involved in, and the accessibility is incredible. But mark it down. You mark it down. It can cost you your family. It can cost you your husband or your wife. You cost your marriage. It can cost your children. It could cost you your name and your reputation. You remember me telling about the couple that came from uh, San Antonio. And he was on staff. He was a church staff member. And he came, and they were in my office right over here. And they had been recommended. Someone told us about our church and about me, and they wanted to, they made an appointment, so they drove all the way from San Antonio. And there had been unfaithfulness on the man's part in the marriage. And he explained to me, he, I mean, he's just sitting there, and his wife's just staring at the wall. And he's, and he's sharing with me, I'm, I'm a staff member. I've been in the chair looking at couples just like you are right now. And I never, ever dreamed it would happen to me. I just never dreamed it could happen to me because I've been the one counseling people. But you see, they had another couple that were friends, close friends. And they spent quite a bit of time together. And so they, there's a lot of interaction. And one day this fellow was over, they had a pond and he was fishing and he was by himself and the other guy's wife was inside the house by herself. It wasn't anything like planned or, you know, meet me here at a certain time. None of that. He was just out there, and she was there. She just said, can you help me move this piece of furniture or whatever? And he went inside, and that's where everything went south.
he was on the verge of losing everything, his position in the church, his wife and family. And they left. She, could, she couldn't hardly talk. She just stared at the wall. And they left basically unreconciled. And I, I never did hear how they ended up. And then at Second Baptist Highlands, you remember this story. Had this fella, he was a handyman. He, he could fix anything. But he was down deep. And, you know, once you get into things, once you get into situations, and once you get to hearing people give their accounts, I mean, you know, this one's saying this, and this one's saying this, and it's all coming together, and it's all about the same guy. We were at his house. He was very popular. He entertained. They entertained a lot. And I mean, I, I don't mean to, but I'm just telling you what I saw. In his restroom right in front of the commode was a knot hole, a hole, a knot hole, and, is, and, and written over it, I see you. This is in the guy's, his bathroom, in the restroom at his house. And so one day we got a call on a Monday morning. And um, it was from this young woman. She was in her 20s. And she called me and said, Brother so-and-so has come over to my house under the premise that he was going to fix my leaky faucet, and he has been wrong to, toward me. And she described it. We started trying to track him down, and what the guy did, he hooked up a, a camper, and he took off for three months. He was gone for three months, couldn't find him. So one Sunday, it was on Sunday, someone came and said, Brother so-and-so's back. I said, okay, you get the deacons, the, the, we just had deacons and majority rule, and so we had deacons, and so I said, you get all the deacons together, get the couple, the husband and the wife, and I'll go after the guy. And I went after him to find him, he was supposed to be in the adult Sunday school class, but guess where I found him? I saw him. Not in class where he was supposed to be, but he was in the hallway and there was a 10-year-old girl, just the two of them in the hallway, and he was tickling her up and down her rib cage, tickling her. And I walked up behind him. I hadn't been off the police department that long. I walked up behind him and I grabbed him by the collarbone. And I said, come with me. I mean, I put the clamp on him. And he looked back. And he, we went, and I walked with him the whole way to my office. And in the office, about four deacons, the husband of the woman and the woman. And he walked in the door, and he said, I didn't mean anything by it. That was his first words. I didn't mean anything by it. And then the guy spoke, the husband spoke, and he said... My head tells me to cut your throat. That's what he said. I'm just telling you. I don't want me to be offensive to anybody. But I'm just telling you what he said. But he said, my heart, because he was a new believer, he said, but my heart says to forgive you. So we spent a few minutes there talking to the man, trying to get him to repent, get him to confess. 
And we said, okay, why don't you pray? Why don't you pray and ask God for forgiveness? And he gets down on his knees, on, on his knees, we're all on our knees, and I'm there beside him, and he starts his prayer off saying, Lord, if I've done anything wrong, I just tapped him on the shoulder, stopped him, mid-prayer. It's not a question if you've done anything wrong, you have done something wrong. So he prayed again and got through it. We sent him to count UBA, the Union Baptist Association there in, in the, that, our area here, had counseling provided. So his son was a Houston police officer. I was doing my best to try to work with the man without standing up in the pulpit and exposing the whole thing. We were trying to work with him. We were trying to send him to counsel. His wife was in agreement, had other situations that we started hearing about sent him to counsel, and they said they would counsel and get back with us. In the meantime, people in the church started, well, what's the deal between brother so-and-so and and the pastor? Now, I want y'all to pay attention because I'm going somewhere with this. What's the big deal between brother so-and-so, Mr. Popular, Mr. He's been there forever? And people knew it's amazing. People knew about this guy's weird behavior. In fact, one, one of the deacons, one of the deacons said this. I'm not worried about my wife. She can take care of herself. Well, buddy, I'm going to tell you something. It's not my wife's going to be taking care of situations like that. I'll be taking care of it. He said, but I'm not worried about my wife. She can take care of herself. So all the now people, not, they were trying to protect this guy, trying to work with him, trying to get him help. And boy, the devil starts to talk. And people are, you know, side, well, why doesn't the pastor like brother so-and-so? He's got it in for brother so-and-so. You see, y'all mark this one down too. When people start taking sides, you can count on this fact. They don't have all the facts most of the time. So the truth is we've seen it in church after church after church and family after family. And it's a strategy of the devil. Mark it down. Remember it. It's divide and conquer. And what happens is when their situations come up, we don't have all the information, we don't have all the facts, and we begin to do a little bit of hearsay and, and take inside, and then we start choosing sides. Now, this is the body of Christ we're talking about, choosing sides. Divide and conquer. It's important that we understand these lies of the devil, what he's up to, that I can be involved in sin and it's really not going to affect anybody. It's not going to cost me anything. And then to just be so absolutely ignorant of the fact that We're playing right into Satan's hands when we start choosing sides and letting him divide and conquer. We have seen it over 
and over and over again. Well, y'all know the rest of the story as it went on. I twisted my ankle pretty bad in church uh, softball. I ended up on crutches. I ended up resigning because it just got out of hand, just, just horrible. And the chairman of Deacon, I'd borrowed the crutches from him, and he came to our living room and said, I want my crutches back. I couldn't walk. And he took the crutches away from me, and I was totally helpless. We ended up leaving the church. And in the meantime, a little group of about 30 people met in a home. They invited us to come. And they said, Brother Rod, we want to start a new work. We're tired of all this mess. Let's start a new church. And it was very tempting. I mean, you can imagine you see 30 people out there, good, strong families. And they want you to take them and, and lead them. And I said, no, I can't be a part of that because it's just going to be further division in the body of Christ. And I just cannot be a part of division. God's word is so clear about division. I want to take you to a passage. Um, well, there's just so, so many. Let's look at 1 Corinthians, if you will. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Very familiar passage. And you know, early on, early on in our ministry, early on in our Christian walk with the Lord as we were learning <laughs> how to pastor people, God was able to show me right away we just couldn't, we just couldn't participate in further divisions. I've, I don't know what it is. I don't know why. I don't know why God's given me such a, uh, uh, a heart to see healing uh, to see uh, there's, there's a righteous anger, if you will, against division and fighting. But it's very clear in Scripture. Look at verse, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no, no, is there, can it be any clearer than this? that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. And then he goes on to write, for it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. The word got back. There are contentions. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I'm of Paul. Isn't it amazing how easy it is to say, I'm of this one, I'm of that one, and that's what this is about. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I, I thought this, you know, I was reading this over. How many times I read this? I thought this was so amazing. I thank God that I baptized none of you. That's a pretty strong, that's a pretty strong statement. I, you know, it'd be like me saying up here, you people, you are, you know, you're a part of this. Part. I'm just so glad I didn't baptize any of you. 
But you know, this little side note, someone sent me a picture of a baptism that really, really has meant a lot to me. And the picture of me baptizing Jonathan Capps. That was a special moment. I'd talked with him about his salvation. We'd had prayer. I'd known him his whole life. I knew when he was brought over as a little baby. And then another one was Leo Wells. Baptizing big old, big old mean, tough Leo with the beard and all. Paul says, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius. Lest any should say that I baptize in mine own name. See how the people could twist things around and I baptize also the house of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptize any other. And then this is a pretty powerful. It really doesn't go in with the whole message, but just think about this. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach. So, the whole idea of this is not a new thing where people take up sides, but it is something the church, we, you know, and this is what kind of blows me away. You know, I've been here all this time. I've preached messages on no divisions for many years. And people hear it and hear it and hear it and hear it, and still they participate in it. it. It just absolutely just, I just can't get it. That when we see so clearly that this is of the devil, it's his scheme, it's his lie, it's his deceit to divide and conquer, and we still bow our necks and we still participate in division after division. If it's not, we don't pass the offering plate or we do pass the offering plate. It's about doctrine, Calvinism versus free will, and on and on we are bent on participating in division, and it's clear it's a violation of the Word of God. It's sin before Almighty God. And we better recognize it. We had better recognize it and do something. And I'll tell you, here is the key. And I think Pastor Joe might have touched. We picked up a little bit today, just a little thought. But one key in reconciliation, one key in tearing down division is denouncing, getting rid of your rotten pride. Becoming humble before God and not worried about what people think, not worried about my name, my reputation. What does God think about this? Let there be no divisions. No divisions in the body of Christ, in the church. Proverbs 6. Y'all can say it by heart, but let's go to it. Proverbs 6. <clears throat> 6.16. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. 
Look at the list. A proud look. A lying tongue. And hands that shed innocent blood. And heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift to running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies. And he that soweth discord among the brethren. I, I'm going to tell you, I'm so sick of hearing discord. And, it, and it, so much of it comes back. So much of it you get, you, get, you get reported. It gets reported. Discord. And listen, people, we don't even think about it. It's kind of like second nature to some people. To just, you just talk about other people. You criticize. You talk about the leadership. You talk about the pastor. You talk about the, the preaching. You talk about Sunday school teachers. You talk whatever sowing seeds and it's like you're trying to get a little group to follow you in your sin how difficult would it be just to not say something negative about somebody how about trying being positive for a while look at the good stuff you know I don't go around. We've talked about this. My wife and I have been married about to be 52 years. Y'all are about to do 53, right? You're, they're a year ahead. 52 years. Do you know what? We're as different as daylight and dark. She thinks she's the manager of the ranch. She thinks she knows more about cows than I do. And a lot of times she's right. And I let her know occasionally when she's right. But, we're the, but you know what I don't do? I don't go to people and talk about my wife to them. And she's done the same. When her mother was alive, mother and daddy, her mother would look at me like a calf looking at a new gate. And she knew, she knew something was wrong with me, but she had no ammunition. Because you know why? Because she never gave her any. She never gave her any. Listen, young ladies, when you're all broken hearted and your husband didn't bring you flowers and he didn't remember this or didn't remember that, you know, when you first had your first, you know, whatever, your first Coke, your first Coke together or Dr. Pepper or Mountain Dew or Cappuccino and you run to mama and you tell your mother how bad he is, how wrong he's been, how, how emotionally I've been hurt. Please, please, please do your marriage a favor and don't, don't spread all that stuff. These are things that husbands and wives work out together. And if you tell him that he needs to provide cappuccino, he'll do it. Please, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just appealing to you. Please, don't be spreading bad things about other people. You don't need to do that. But this is a, an abomination to God. It's in there with shedding innocent blood. I mean, it's, it's right at the top of God's dreaded sin that in the body of Christ, it just breaks his heart. Sowing seeds of discord. You gotta, we gotta end it.
It benefit. It doesn't benefit the church. And listen, look at it from the lost people. This is what I've always proclaimed, always said. You've got lost people out there. They're looking at all of us. They're watching church. And can you imagine any of them wanting to run down the aisle and accept Jesus Christ when they see how well we get along? I mean, no wonder they're not flocking and beating down the doors of the church. Because they know. Oh, I mean, there's plenty of scriptures, Philippians chapter 1 and other places, where the word gets spread about faith and things going on. People find out. People hear. And now with social media, oh, people, I mean, they... (laughs) We, we find out things from people, but I mean, it's just incredible. And we're not even on any of that stuff. No divisions. We just shouldn't participate in it. We shouldn't be taking sides. We shouldn't be sowing seeds of discord. By the way, that man, you'll remember the end of the story, that man, after we left, I had already resigned. And he, everything was back to normal now. The preacher's gone because it was all his fault anyway. And that guy was up, that same guy was up in a tree trimming branches and he had a heart attack and took a nosedive and was dead when he hit the pavement. When he hit dirt, he was dead. Folks, don't, don't tell me that there aren't consequences to our sin. There, the, there will be. You may not see it. God is awfully merciful and he's awfully long-suffering, but you, you, you just mark it down. If you're a child of God, you eventually are going to receive consequences for your sinful attitude and behavior. You will, you will somewhere along the line. And you, if you're honest before God, you'll recognize it and admit it. That came from the hand of God and it's discipline for my behavior. <clears throat> now, some of you remember, I don't know that maybe some of you might have been a part of years and years ago, they had a little program thing where it's called lay renewal. I'm just curious. Anybody remember lay renewal? Anybody? One, two, three, four, lay renewal. Well, my, my take on lay renewal was it have a weekend revival, but the whole bent, the whole purpose of the lay renewal was to get brethren to be reconciled together and forgive each other and love each other and hug on each other and cry and, and everybody get restored. All in one weekend, it was supposed to happen. And they, they, these things are going all over Texas and all around. Well, you see, I think, I think we're having a lay renewal right now. Today, during this service. We're having a lay renewal because you're hearing the word of God talking about there should be no division and Satan's lies that he, it's not going to hurt anybody. I can be involved in sin. It's not going to affect anybody. <clears throat> and divide and conquer... But the key is, are we going to forgive and continue to be strong? I, I, I hope and pray. I hope and pray through the, the um, 
frailty of the message like this that we would somehow recognize the significance and the importance of we've, we need to get over, we need to get this straightened out here. We need to get some things resolved. Because I am convinced if it's breaking your heart <clears throat> or my heart as your pastor, what is it doing to our Father's heart, our Heavenly Father's heart? What is it doing to His heart? When we blatantly hear the Word of God, we listen to the sermons. We've had hundreds and hundreds of sermons on the same topic, and we blatantly violate the clear teachings of Scripture. So there's a, an appeal taking place today that today could be the day. Could, today could be the day of resolving, and it, it, it would take some humility. It would take some, some reconciliation, some forgiveness. But you're aware, and I'm going to quickly go to some passages here. I'm not going to be able to read them all just and every detail of the passages because um, of our time restraints. But Hebrews 12, you need to remember this one. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. If you belong to him, if you belong to him and you're involved in whatever type of sin, and we've named a few, <clears throat> whomever the Lord loveth, he chasteth, and he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you with, as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Now look at verse 8. It's a key verse. But if ye be without, in other words, if you are not getting chastisement, if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. You just think you've been born again. You just think you're a member of the body of Christ, but you're not if you don't get discipline when you sin from the, and, you, and you get discipline from the Father. It, it's a promise. We all look at the promises. God loves me and God's going to supply all my needs. Here's the promise. If you belong to him, you get involved in sin, count on it. He's going to bring discipline in your life because he loves you that much. Another thing that we've learned, Matthew 18. Turn there, if you will. I'm going to kind of maybe scan it a little bit. I don't think... <clears throat> Matthew 18, 23. Well, these famous words of Peter, Jesus saith unto him, I say it, he asked, how many times should I forgive someone, my brother? I say, not unto you, unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. And Pastor Joe, years ago, brought a real good message and explained all of that and the significance of the numbers and everything. But the point is, bottom line is, you can't count enough times to be forgiven each other. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven. And this, I want to show you something here. It is a truth that we have seen it and observed it. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. 
And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. But for, uh, for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and payments be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshiped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of the servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him his debts. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me all that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not. But he went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told him, told their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after he called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all the de that debt because thou desiredst me. Should not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth. Now look at 30, 34. You need to see this. It's very, very clear. And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors. He was upset. He was wroth. But he delivered him over to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. And then 35, so likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you. If ye from your heart forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Very clear. There must be genuine from the heart Love, compassion, and forgiveness for those who have probably, without question, offended you, hurt you, harmed you, emotionally, physically, whatever. They have hurt you. And the command is, you, we are commanded to forgive as we've been forgiven. To love as we've been loved. We've been forgiven so much. The Lord has set us free. But here's the consequence. And I believe it applies today. And it's not just a story to be read. And we've seen it in the lives of people. We've seen it. If you hold bitterness and grudges and resentment and hatred toward each other, after a time, the Lord has commanded you forgive, you love, forgive as you've been forgiven. You were, your debt was paid in full. We should do the same for others. But if not, you'll be delivered over to the tormentors. And we have seen it. There are people in our lives, throughout our ministry for 47 years, they have had nervousness. They're sleepless at night. They're agitated. They're worriers. Their health begins to fail. 
And they are tormented. They are tormented. Now, folks, I just have to warn. I just have to throw this out as a warning. It can happen in your life if you do not obey Scripture. Miserable, unrest, turmoil. And it happens. It happens in good homes. It happens in good churches. And it happens in God. I believe he turns us over to the tormentors. And we believe we have seen it. Now God is available to heal today. We don't have to have a special lay renewal service to have healing and forgiveness take place. We're going to have an invitation. And the invitation should be more meaningful than just, you know, let's get through this. I mean, what time is it? It's, it's time. I'm hungry. Uh, the kids need to go. Um, God wants to heal that heart, that brokenness. And if we continue to hide... There will be a price to pay. If we continue to resist after I believe, you know, I don't claim and y'all understand me. I, I don't claim to be. I heard uh, Dr. David Jeremiah this week. And I'm going to tell you what I thought to myself, man, I wish I could preach like him. I wish I could preach a message like him. It just seemed to unfold. It just seemed to be so good. Adrian Rogers, I, I'd listen to him and I just Oh, I'd love to be able to preach like him. I realize, I realize what you've got here, okay? I mean, I, I don't even listen. Listen, by the, I don't listen to my, I, I wouldn't, I'd probably resign next week if I listened to my, my own sermons. I don't even, I, I don't, I've heard a few and I just thought, man, if I'm going to keep going, I'm going to have to stop listening. <laughs> because I, I know what you've got, but I can tell you this, we do have the Spirit of God. We've got the word of God and what I've given you is truth from God's word. Now we're going to have an invitation. And I'm going to be able to sit down in a minute and feel like I've done my part. Now, it doesn't mean that I can't. I can have to prepare a message like this. I'm dealing with this stuff all the time I'm preparing. So it's not like, well, he, he just said he didn't have to deal with it during the invitation. No, I've been dealing with it ever since I started this. But I'm going to say I can sit down with a clear conscience. I've done what God told me to do. Now it's up to you. It's up to you. There are other truths that we've learned. This is God's church. In Matthew 16, 17, the scripture says, I will build my church. This is God's church. It's not the deacon's church. It's not the elder's church. It's not the pastor's church. It's not your church. It's not my church. It's God's church. And you know what? God provides the increase. It's God who gets, he he gets all the glory for what he's doing. So I have a heart to see God's church prosper. But if we don't get some things resolved among the body, why would God prosper us? And I, and I don't, I really don't think there's a, a lot of people can be exempt. I think all of us have to admit we participated at some level or another. 
So if we respond positively during this invitation, then it's going to be a great victory for God's side. But I want you to mark, and God just gave me this this morning. I had a cup of coffee, and I was sitting down looking at this, and this, the Lord just gave me this this morning. But it's almost like an arena. And if people repent, people confess, people get right, there's a great victory on God's side. But if we continue to hide our secret sin, if we continue to resist the moving of the Holy Spirit, and we refuse to to denounce pride and confess pride and get reconciled if we refuse and we just walk, we just stiff. You're not going to be able, there's nothing can move me. And we walk out, we're all dismissed, all that, the whole thing. Anybody have an announcement? Only you can make. We go through that routine and we walk out the door. You mark it down. Satan's crowd is on the side and they're going, Yay, y'all are doing good for our team. That just makes me want to just fall. We can't, we can't continue to let Satan, the scripture is clear. We're not to be ignorant of his advices unless he should get an advantage of us. How's it going to be? This invitation, how's it going to be? Staff member, elders, congregation, are we all going to just go, not me, buddy. I'm going to go eat. I think it could be all of us broken before God. Let's see God do something spectacular. But it's going to take some humility and some confession And it's going to take more than we're capable of. It's going to take God having to do a great movement in our church. So let's pray and let's trust God during this time of invitation. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. And uh, we ask you to, to heal, to bring genuine healing in our lives. Pray that there could be genuine forgiveness. And that, Father, you would be glorified. And our church would never be the same ever again because of those who are obedient to your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.